Hey, group chat. I know y'all see my text. There's tea to be spilled. Each week, we're bringing you our unfiltered take on culture, news, dating, and our lives as Black millennial women. We're coming to y'all with the honesty and eye rolls that only a text chain with your girls can. This is Black Girls Texting with Chelsea, Glenn, and Shade. joined by Bedside Brat and Chels Pinky. Hello, ladies. Hey, hey. Hey. How goes it? Girl, I'm just been tired, child. I don't know. I can't stop sleeping. I'm so can't tired. Can't stop sleeping? Cannot stop sleeping. But I've been pulling like all-nighters, so that makes sense. But I just, for I, for I, work or party? Literally for work. I was up till oh. 3 a.m. working yesterday. Damn, you should have stayed... Uh, with the oh yeah absolutely because i don't even get my benefits till enough till like six more months what do you mean like my stocks and shit don't kick in my shits don't vest okay your stocks but like you have insurance yes 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 <laughs> she's like i don't get benefits i'm, I'm not like, even insured like, for yikes. another six months <laughs> yeah i was like that sounds really fucked up and like <laughs> sounds not illegal. legal yeah i was like mm. red or reply <laughs> Anyways, I'll jump in kicking off the Reddit replies. Um, I'm going to reply to my new self-care routine. I can't remember if I've said this before. I feel like I mentioned you showed us your calendar. that I had my calendar, but I'm actually implementing it. And it's lovely reading, relaxing, taking time for myself, going on walks, exercising, taking care of my body. Who knew? love that so so yeah I'm enjoying that I feel like I I can't remember if I say this a lot on the show or if I say it more to you guys like in the actual group chat but I am like obsessed with my therapist (laughs) yes Yes, say a lot (laughs) okay I'm like actually obsessed with her and my transition my uh, insurance transitioned over so like technically I'm kind of uninsured right now like I'm waiting to get all my paperwork and so her company was like um sis like what's going on and she was like don't worry we gonna get it when he she was like I know you switching jobs like we'll figure it out and I was like you a real one I love it you've sent the number her number so many times in the group chat and you know I've (laughs) not jotted it down and that's not my problem because I'm I'm gonna ask you to send it again (laughs) I'm gonna ask you to send it again wait (laughs) I am going to quickly jump into my on red, which is kind of connects to the hotline blink. So we'll circle back to it. And I'm sure you guys are going to echo these sentiments, but obviously leaving this whole Roe v. Wade debacle Mm -hmm. on red. um, It is, you know, a hot topic right now. And while, you know, I'm no expert in the legal jargon, it seems that it's an opinion, which then would need to be like, actually implemented so tbd on that i think there's going to be like a clear decision made around june but i've just been listening to a lot of podcasts i actually listened to a daily episode that tells the story of jane roe um that was super interesting i watched a lot of different takes i I forgot what it was on something maybe like an abc thing or something of the the interview with baby roe which was like wild because the woman actually ended up having the kid that was up for that was like at the center of the mm. Roe v. Wade interesting thing. Uh-huh. and 
she like hates her mom does never spoke to her the woman died and they never met and it was like all this drama well her mom like her mom was like very she has uh, a lot of trauma she was basically raped her whole life like her childhood and then didn't she switch sides like yeah she she became like Mm pro-life it was just like pro-life a hot mess Mm -hmm. but aside from her story um I found it very interesting to learn that a lot of this ruling, like potentially being overturned, people utilize um, similar tactics that were used for Brown versus Board of Education. So these weird like ties in terms of like civil rights, women's rights. And then of course the whole conversation around like, are you black first? Are you woman first? Like it's always like this thing on my mind. Like when I'm talking to people, I'm like, wow, like I love this energy that you have, but like, I hope you have this energy, especially in thinking about how this impacts poor women, um, women of color, especially black women, immigrant women, like not just what you look like. Um, so I'm going to encourage any listener to think about that i'm nervous for what's going to happen but then at the same time you know and the things i've been listening to and a lot of what i've been reading it'll be interesting to see how this ends up like playing out state by state if it does get overturned um and that's when i think you know even people that are super pro-life are like that's really when the battle begins because you're going to have all these states that still allow it and all these women fleeing and blah 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 blah. so it's disappointing um it definitely shows a lot of the aftermath of Trump um, and mm-hmm. it's super divisive. Um, but I just hope that anyone listening who's like been torn with decisions around having a child or keeping a child, you know, feels supported in whatever decision they make because it is your decision ultimately to make. And it's already hard enough to make that decision. So I feel like it's extra shitty for it to be, such a heightened subject that makes you feel even worse. So definitely feeling for anyone out there. And yeah, I also think it's interesting because people always like, you know, during elections, you have those gr- those people who are like, it doesn't matter who you vote for. And voila, it did. Mm-hmm. Because Trump was able to appoint two um, Supreme Court justices. And now look what's happening. So it actually did matter as much as we didn't love Hillary or who was running with Trump again? Was it Hillary? Yeah, Hillary. First time. time. Or Mm -hmm. second time. First time was with. First time Hillary, second time. Oh, first time Hillary. Oh, I mean, yeah. Yes, because he only got one term president. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) One term failure. um, One term president. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of confusing because that doesn't happen that much. You know, it's only when you really suck. But from what everything I've been reading, listening to, it sounds like it is it is going to get overturned federally. Um, So that is interesting. Um, It sounds like there's going to be like states that nothing changes, probably like New York, California Mm -hmm. states that like it kind of changes. Like there's just like limitations. Like I think Florida is thinking about or discussing um, if it gets overturned that basically you're just going to have to get an abortion uh, sooner. Mm-hmm. So at an earlier stage, 15 weeks, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which is not terrible because it turns out that most abortions do happen at an early stage anyway. Mm-hmm. So many women will still, it'll be the same for them. Um, and then certain 
chunks of America, you won't be able to get abortion at all, which is interesting because I saw this like um, conspiracy post and I wondered what you guys thought of it. So basically they showed a map of everywhere where you won't be able to get an abortion. And it was like these very white states. Mm -hmm. And they were saying, well, if you think about the trajectory of America, it's becoming browner and blacker and more of color. So they are trying to, they are trying to stop white, predominantly white states from shrinking their population. That's T. <laughs> but I on the on a episode of because it's it's kind just of wild. It's just I'm like, wild. I, I'm like, is this some it. grand plan to like make the country white again? Bruh. But then th- this one episode of the Daily Two that they were saying that really what these sanctions are they're gonna it's gonna attack like poor black and brown people like those are the people that are gonna not have access to abortion primarily. But like geograph, yes poor poor people but geographically poor white people is what i'm seeing when i look at a map yeah aside from like the really like rural yeah. you know black americans that live not in cities right um but yeah i, I saw know. that i, was like, I saw know. that as well I never know could be a grand plan <laughs> but the, but the thing is <laughs> if someone if, if, if someone wants to get a fucking abortion Guess what? They're going to get it. They're going to throw themselves down. They're going to figure this shit out. They're going to drink bleach. They're going to do the crazy shit that women have been doing right. before they could get abortions. Um, so and we'll find okay. ourselves back in that issue why they had to legalize it because people were doing wild shit. Right. You so just like, put people in danger. Um, but I guess I can go to my reply because it kind of goes off of yours. Um, my job actually announced that they, you know, obviously there's no decision that's been made, but in the event that it does be, it does get overturned, my job's going to be paying for any sort of travel needed for anyone that needs to get an abortion. So I thought that that was really cool. And like, it wasn't like a taboo topic. They like, we have these, um, cut to the chase, like all company meetings Mm -hmm. and like, they spoke about it. So I thought that was cool. Um, and I guess my real reply is I booked a therapist. So I'm going to be starting a therapy. Self care for everybody. It like was so difficult though, to find like a black woman that took my insurance yeah. that was near me. It was not easy. It was like, are you a, going in person? You're going in person. Um, I think initially it'll be virtual, but I think eventually I would want to go in person. No, that's nice. Yeah. I think, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's not as easy as I thought. So maybe we should think about making it easier. Yeah. Did you and use that, like an app or like a friend or I used apps, I used friends and then I wasn't finding anyone. So then I just went on ZocDoc mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just like looked up the difference between, I forgot the, the acronyms, but like, is this person a social worker? Is this mm-hmm. person a counselor? And I wanted like, and a therapist, a doctor. So mm-hmm. I found that, <laughs> um, but a lot of people don't go to therapy with actual doctors, which I don't know what the difference is. I didn't do the research, but, and then leaving on red, I was going to say the cold weather in New York city. When I was there, I was like, what the fuck is this? Get me out of here. It's um, cute this week though. I'm so happy that it's finally <laughs> spring is finally springing. Cause I was like, this is not spring. In New York. Like, this Bare- is miserable. Barely, barely. Yeah. I was like, this is what, what is this weather? Um, but I'm going to leave on red that Kevin Samuels died. 
Oh, that shit is still really wild to me. It's really wild. Shade is sipping her water. Um, I really wanted to have him on the show, but thanks to Shade, we never reached out. <laughs> and now we'll never got, get the opportunity. And it's just really sad that it's not sad. It just makes you just remember to treat people well because yeah. it is sad that like his kids and his family members are probably seeing all the things on the internet. Like the man is kids? dead. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Oh, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, seeing all the very mean things about his death. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about those things. I always think it's sad if someone dies, but um, who wasn't like physically violent to like people who can't defend themselves. I said oh. physically violent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But still, I talked to, I messaged Shade about it too because I saw people posting a lot. And I feel like we talked about this on the show before your thoughts on this, Shade, when people make these like public like you know in memoriams to like celebrities or people that they don't know i don't know what you're you cannot call it a memoriam if it is just a repost she told me that this girl we know wrote a memoriam so i'm thinking she wrote like may you rest in peace but she just like reposted an article about and she was like wow this is so crazy like i don't know how to how to feel about this one like this is complicated this is a complicated loss yeah i would say that's just a comment okay a memoriam, I would imagine to be more like grandiose. Like. Mm-hmm. But I feel like you were saying, outside of that, you said some shit like, I mean, people die every day. Sure do. But to me, but it's I found it very shocking. I don't know that it was like sad. It, it is sad that people die every day. But I found it like super shocking that this person that we just was super polarizing that we saw online all the time. Who's so young, 56. Is, then, is just now gone. Like, that's kind of crazy if you think about it. Like, and he it was, was um, everywhere all the time. He wasn't and like gone. sick or any, like, you know what I'm saying? It was like a yeah. shocking I death. I heard some things that might've been a little blue pill involved. Viagra. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> they well, can't like sue us. A little blue pill. <laughs> that, right. I don't know. Everyone knows what the a boy died. So no one heard the 911 call. Nah. Oh, I didn't hear it. Yeah, no. But every everyone say I'm not really giving this much energy, but all I'm I'm seeing online that people are saying that he was like with a potentially like a call girl or something. Oh, I didn't. Oh, hear that. I thought he was a with a girl that called into the show. No. Oh. I don't think so. I mean, I wouldn't know. I really like. I see it. I kind of like skip through. But one person posted like, "Oh, the irony, like you." Um, like spend all this time like degrading women and then you like pass away alone with like someone you need to hire to pay yeah well here it is i know he was with a latina and he always said they were better than black women well non-black latinas That's also really annoying that when you call 911, they're just like calm about shit. And it's like, hurry the fuck up. Urgency. Yeah. The man's dying. He's blue, bitch. Damn, that's He's OD. turning blue. She's like, hey, I'm going to hang up the phone <sighs> and you call someone to come up here. That's OD. Yeah. 
And he was only 56. That's that's the sad part is, you know, he was young. Um, Well, that makes me think of my reply. There's just been a couple of things I've been watching and listening to recently. One is the show on HBO called The Staircase. You know, I I love that. Wait, what's The Staircase? It's this crazy case that like a lot of true crime podcasts I listen to cover a lot. And then there was this long documentary on Netflix about it a few years ago. Essentially, this man, his wife fell down the steps and died. And that's how it opens. And he makes this like frantic um, 911 call. Oh, and he pushed her. That's what we don't know. A lot of shit happens. A lot of shit comes out. He was like wrapped up in like local politics in Durham and at least from what, what I've seen thus far, they're trying to say that like, you know, the town and the city was against him or whatever. But then he also had a lot of you know, the secret lifestyle and a whole bunch of shit. Um, oh, wait, you're, sounds like you're giving me too much. Yeah, I was like, yeah, stop. slow down. Okay. Do it in. That's it. That's all. <laughs> yeah, as good soon show. as we get off the phone, I am going to finish. Okay, I want to watch this. Yeah, one. you should watch it. You should watch it. Colin Firth is in it. He's like such a good actor and such a little cutie. And that's the one thing about shows like he this. Fell off. That nigga fell off. He fell off, but I still have a soft spot in my heart for him. Okay. Shows like this where people are supposed to be like bad, but then you like I'm I'm still I'm, I'm not I still have a soft spot for him because I'm thinking of the actor and like his previous roles and stuff. Um, oh, it's a it's a it's yeah, um, it's scripted. Scripted. Okay, yeah, yeah, I thought yeah, it was like yeah, a doc. Yeah. And the, the the woman who plays the um the wife is also like a bomb ass actress. I can't remember what her name is. She has like a very interesting mouth. Google um, it. Yeah. Um, the other thing I was going to reply to though um, is this is maybe controversial. I know the girls canceled Sabrina Claudio, but the new album is mad good. So fucking why did they cancel? Why they cancel? Something about being about black people. She black? said some. Yeah, she said she isn't she I mean, black. Nah. I mean, she's a white Latina from Miami. I think she's a Cuban Let me Puerto Rican. Because y'all love calling everybody a white Latina. <laughs> oh, wait, let's go ahead and do the skin color test. <laughs> See if it checks out. Put the paper, put the paper back. <laughs> she said, she I mean, quoted, if Giselle um, from Potomac is black. No, I don't think she's black. Oh and now that I'm reading The Vanishing, I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah, this woman, this woman is white. Yes. She quoted, like, some lyrics from an ASAP Rocky song. Like he a jiggy nigga, something, something. She said nigga. And then apparently maybe somebody said some shit to her. And then she wrote back and was like, it must suck being a black girl with no ass. And maybe there were a couple other things that were said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there were a few other statements. I couldn't I mean, find yeah, them. Yeah, she all. probably said some shit, but like yeah. I, I still listen to her. She got some some hits. Yo, the music is so good. It's such a vibe. The yeah. album again is called Based on a Feeling. It's was, so, so you're gonna good. promote it. Wow. Yeah. Promoted it. Wow. So this podcast is new to me. It's not very new. It's called Sounds Like a Cult. It's about (gasps) movements and people within the the zeitgeist that get cult-like followings. Yes. But it's not like culty shit. It's more like pop culture things or like like random shit. They do it. They have a, they have an episode on Stan culture. They have one called the cult of academia and what it's like when people are wrapped up in getting like degrees and what it's like when you're like when people become obsessed with their professors they have one called the cult of trader joe's they have the cult of hmm. elizabeth holmes the cult of um who's in that of crossfit i i mean i'm into elizabeth holmes too i'm very intrigued like you like her 
That's weird. I find her fascinating. Like I will watch anything that she. Yeah, but that's not cult. But that's a cult like following. Like she's a cult like grip. I feel like cult on... is like when you like the person. Yes. Not just yes. when they're like interesting. Yes, for the most part. But it also I think means like having a cult like following. Obsessive. Yeah, like intrigue. Like she sparks yeah. intrigue for people that make you want to keep watching. That doesn't mean you like them. She has one that was like the cult of Elon Musk. I'm googling that. Um, it's at least in the way that they approach it. <laughs> I would um, love if this was just about cult, cult like actual but I cults. also get into yeah. um <laughs> and then yeah right it's about other time. last little <laughs> thing I've been watching a bunch is party throwing Megan the Stallion up in the air <laughs> yes I've watched that shit about 50 times that shit is amazing when he got her with the one hand where her leg slipped a little bit and he just like rejiggered it a little bit and she ripped that wrapped that leg around that was amazing. That I was amazing. They were back together. It was such a display. When did they I ever break they up? Ever broke up? They never broke up. Didn't they break? They up? going strong. No, nope, never heard of it. I never heard that Hold they broke on. up. No, nope. yeah. you know I'm misinformation. <laughs> Google that. Google that now. Uh, well, you're the one bringing up the allegations. They never broke up. So you have to Google it. <laughs> they never broke up. They never broke up. Because party was fight was fighting online with Tori, defending his woman. Yo, it literally says Megan and Party back together. Who wrote it? Was was the source? <laughs> We've gone a lot of places. So if you're still keeping up, we're gonna transition over to the hotline bullying. I'm gonna keep it very brief since this has been a very robust, <laughs> robust. I think they like when it's robust intro. Um, but basically, like my hot. Oh my god. Hey, <laughs> um, my hotline bullying is about how. Um, it's connected to the whole Roe v. Wade conversation. And I was having this like back and forth conversation in another group chat I have with a friend who is. Uh, is it a white man? Devil's, who yes, is this person? Not even oh. devil's advocate. Uh, it's just like. The same person that's always doing this? White yes. men love to play oh devil's advocate. The like, devil doesn't even advocate. It, it, yeah, it's just difficult. <laughs> but something that was interesting was we were kind of having this conversation around like that each side will never see one another like he sent me this tweet like oh like the reason we'll never get anywhere with this is because people like refuse to see the other person's side and another friend texted me on the side and was like I should never need to see the other side of this conversation like I don't want to debate about it I don't want to have discourse like it's my body period and I was like, this is really interesting how it could be so polarizing, especially once you start pulling in like religion and like, yeah, it just made me think like, can you even like have healthy debate about something like this? Don't we but want like, them to see our side? So I'm, in- I'm curious about your friend's response. She was like, I'm not, she was like, I'm not entertained. She's like, I don't even care. Like, that I have a uterus. You don't. I don't yeah. give a fuck. Good night. <laughs> My thing is like, Fair. I just I just don't get the desire to want to put your beliefs on other people like that's mm-hmm. my thing like I will never get a, an abortion for myself right unless it was like life or death for me mm-hmm. I don't see in my current state right because I want to say that because you know once you say something and then some shit happens and then they're like well you remember you said in my current state I don't Girl, see that I, right but like I'm, I'm just where saying, you like, are in life right now where I am in life slash my my religious beliefs, like mm-hmm. my my just how I was raised, like what I was told, 
my thought process. I don't believe in it. Right. But like, that's for my body. Mm-hmm. Who am I to tell you what to do with yours? Like you, it's, mm-hmm. you do what you want to do. Like, and you do what feels right for your situation. Like mm-hmm. you don't know people's situations like through and through, like, I don't know. I just find it weird to like try to enforce your beliefs on someone else's body. Right. Like, you know, like it's their body that they're going to have to deal with for nine months initially and then possibly another 18 years. Like, it's weird. Yeah, I listened to the daily with the all the people that are like super pro life. And one that was really interesting was this woman who's from China. And she was like, you know, I know the one child policy is very different, but she's like, you know, I was given a chance and all these people talking about like, you know, the unborn child being given a chance. And I'm like, that's dope and like great. And if we Mm -hmm. lived in like a ideal world, like that would be amazing. But I'm like, I get confused in terms of the moral conversations where there there are so many people like that's like another human. And then I'm like, but then what happened? Like, where's the flip once they're born? And then mm-hmm. where's like, the protection? Where's right. The I'm like, where assistance? is that? But then my my friend was being like, oh, well, that's different because then they believe that the obligation is on the parent. And I'm like, but, but the parent already you... told you that they cannot do it. Right. I'm like, I don't that's, <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get that. Do you know anyone who's arguing about the health things like the people who have the is it called topic pregnancy a topic? Mm hmm. Are there people arguing that they should also shouldn't be able to have abortions? Um, I all the like clips and things that I've heard of people that are pro um, life have all said that Except the woman for, is in danger. That yeah, that that that's the only. There are there are some states who are will also be banning those or making I saw those that. Illegal. Yeah, yeah. But like even like the rape and very few people are like there are people who are a product of rape and they go on to live great lives. Yeah, and I'm that's like, just why insane. the fuck is that up to you to decide? Yeah, it's 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 wild. Like how fucking true. Everybody is just that up is. in everybody's business, period. All over the place. Right. Place. Like if you don't fucking way. Every way. If you don't believe in abortion, <laughs> here's the solve. Don't get one. And I know that it's not I know it's a generalization that it's people that are like uber conservative, like super you know right wing but I'm like I find it very interesting that it's this whole like moral high ground but then they'll be the first ones being like all this crime and welfare it's like where the fuck do you think that shit comes from because I don't have no money to pay for these goddamn kids period I'm like you want to talk about the danger of the mom putting the mom in danger like women can have kids and then they can't support the kid and then where do they end up and where do they live like I don't know. Right. It's it the health issues and risks up against the lives of these mothers go beyond the womb is what I'm saying. I don't know. I don't it's know it's wild. campaign. <laughs> Ready to yeah. implement it. And it's it's wild. It's ask really wild. your male friends. Please just just ask them like out of curiosity if you haven't before. I'm saying this to you guys, and I'm also saying this to listeners. Just ask them if they would get a vasectomy because every single one of my male friends told me no. Yeah, all my friends would say no, I would think. And they said because they want to have children the quote-unquote like normal way. And I was like... It's also not 100% reversible. No, it's not even in reversing it. I'm like, you could freeze your sperm. Yes. 
Yeah, but things happen with that. Things happen when people freeze their eggs. Like I know, I know. I feel like might not even be your sperm. For some folks, shit might the freezer might break down. Then what? You have no sperm. I get that. that. Shit, shit. It's a lot of risks doing that. No, I want to put the onus on the men. I really do. Speaking of which, have you guys ever experienced a cream pie? Yes. No. Same. (laughs) I used to really like those back in the day. I do not let people finish inside of me ever at all. No. Speaking of which, and hotline blings, as a part of my, what I'm calling field studies on this app, um, I put this in the (laughs) chat. You mean being a a hoe for the summer. (laughs) I met an OnlyFans No labels. And he's been sending me a a lot of things. So many types of videos and clips and things. Like? Describe. Uh, Just. Can we put this on the Patreon? This is going to be a long ass episode. No, I mean, all right. I'll mention it. We don't even want to rob the the audience. We do. Oh, we do? Yeah. Oh, I thought this was a by ourselves episode. That's why I've been rambling. No, I was very surprised. Who to guess? Um, she's actually in sex education, Dr. Sarah Flowers. But whatever, but I can also talk about this on the on another hotline blink because it's it's good for the listeners. You're gonna forget. I don't want to. I know. I didn't want to forget, which is why I said it now. Just say it. I'll just say that. Go the ahead, text, Lord. I'm not gonna don't say much. Party I'm just say ruin it. That he. One thing he said to me in the text was he wanted to see my asshole blink. I thought and it was I, wink. Wink. I wink. think it was wink. Yeah, I'm like it doesn't blink. It Same blink. shit. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> this is not sexy this is oh wink okay that's right wait what does that mean though like Like it puckers out no like when you're about to poop tighten and loosen (laughs) but why would that happen loosen i'm supposed to squeeze it oh i guess if you're when your body when your body's tense like yeah uh, people will do that people will tell you to do that i've actually had someone tell me to do that i've never had someone tell me to do that Maybe that's a new I thing. Know, I they were like fingering my butthole, and we were going like a couple fingers at a time. And he ah! like, please release, squeeze, release. No, but he was like, add more I want to like. He was like, actually, yeah, it's graphic. Okay, graphic but- Patreon. If you really want the graphic <laughs> tea, I mean, I literally just started about getting fingered in the asshole. Okay, like, I, I want to also- see it slide in and out that pussy. I want to see that <laughs> wink. What do those things have to do with each other? I don't understand the connection. He's going to fuck you in the butt? No, he was talking about the pussy. So then how do we get to the butthole? Oh, because maybe if he's hitting it from the back. It's just a visual. hitting it from the back and you're like. (sighs) That's what I'm imagining. But then that would, you have to, yeah, I don't know. Okay, well, recently I found out that two of my friends. feeling like we. Mothers listen to this podcast, so I'm about to say I hey, feel like, like children, children listeners, and I'm like, well, not the kids, not the I kids. know, but you know what? Let's normalize sex. You know, everyone exactly. has that is true. That is true because they over here talking about, uh, oh, you're gonna make the kids gay and this, that, and the third, and but now it's just shenanigans. How, how are you gonna make them gay? If you talk about like se- anything like sexual gender identity, oh. Yeah, fuck that That's shit. Cool. I mean, I've thought like, about this. Why recently. doesn't everyone just mind their damn business? When I say wild <laughs> shit on the show, I've just been like, I've grown and right. it doesn't really I've grown and I get bigger than the butt. Yeah, like it just doesn't 25 matter. years old, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
My good sis, that's a black girl. Y'all let me know we have a special guest coming on. Honestly, I'll be very surprised at however this episode is edited since we all went our, our rant previously in the group chat. But we are so happy to be joined by Dr. Sarah C. Flowers, who became the vice president of education at Planned Parenthood for America in 2018. Um, Dr. Flowers is an advocate for evidence-informed practice and emotional intelligence in education. Her research focuses on fidelity and adaptation of sex education curricula and dismantling sexual and reproductive health disparities, serving youth of color, and strengthening abortion access. In this role, Dr. Flowers sets the vision, priorities, and strategy for sex education and training at Planned Parenthood. She is the Planned Parenthood spokesperson for sex education, providing contextualizations and grounding for the nuanced ways sex education works to support and progress our Federation's vision and mission. And yes, I read her bio word for word because we're going to use all these big words. Up in the <laughs> Dr. Flowers holds a doctorate in public health from the Graduate School and University Center CUNY, as well as a BA in psychology and an MPH degree from George Washington University. I will probably never call you Sarah either because I'm like, you're Dr. Flowers. You, you earned the doctor. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but welcome to the group chat. I'm so glad to be here. It's nice to see everyone and be in conversation. I really appreciate it. Um, so we chatted about this a little bit offline and, you know, for context for the listeners, we've been in conversation about having Dr. Flowers on the show since August of last year. Um, and you know what? I feel like in a way this might be divine timing because now with everything that's going on with the Supreme Court um, and a potential overturn of Roe, we are happy to have you here to discuss this with us. But obviously all very disheartened by what's happening. Um, and so I definitely wanted to first just ask you, you know, how you're feeling, what your sentiments are kind of like set the mood of the conversation. And then also, um, just get understanding of like how Planned Parenthood is thinking about this as well, before we kind of jump into other topics that we have for our conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it makes Abortion access is, you know, at top of mind for so many of us. Um, you know, I think that there are so many feelings um, running deeply through through all of us. I mean, for those of us who've worked in the field of sexual and reproductive health, um, I have for my entire career. Um, this is, frankly, shocking and horrifying. Um, as of right now, we know that abortion remains legal. It is still um, your right to get an abortion, um, should that be something that you seek. And honestly, at Planned Parenthood and with so many of our partners in the um, sexual and reproductive health and justice and freedom space, um, our partners and we have been preparing for every possible outcome of this case for decades and we're built and we are fighting, we are fighting. Um, I'm sort of pausing because the way it's impacting each of us personally is different. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, it is, it was, you know, like how people talk about like fight, flight, freeze. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I'm a freezer, right? So like this, um, for me, this, 
I got it. I was brushing my teeth on that Monday night and my husband texted me the Politico um, note on my phone, which popped up on my watch maybe or something. And I like, I froze. Like you just, I mean, people, others, colleagues and good friends, I mean, are, it's, I'm not being articulate. I'm sorry. It's just because of the emotion, just like really the complexity of the emotions and the this is a real possibility. And also that the opposition has made it incredibly clear, the anti-abortion um, groups have made it incredibly clear that their ultimate plan is to ban abortion nationwide, which mm-hmm. could have a horrific impact on patients in every state in this country if they're able to accomplish that. I think the shorter term impact if Roe and Casey, you know, of overturning Roe and Casey is dire, it would mean that 26 states would be poised to swiftly move to ban abortion. That means 36 million women. And just to be clear, I'm using the term women because the data around abortion uses the gendered term women. Um, But we know that all people need and access abortions. Um, And nearly half of women of reproductive age, which is ages 18 to 49 in the US, um, and more people who can become pregnant could soon lose abortion access if these um, precedents are overturned. for me, it also, in addition to having worked in this field, I, I am an alum of the New York Abortion Access Fund. And so mm-hmm. I was a board member. I am proud that work was pivotal in my um, professional development and my commitment to this work. The things that I learned around the needs that people have for abortion access. Um, and I'm in New York State. Right. So like what's what's really happening for folks who are doing this work in places like Texas, who've been living under SB8 since um, last year. You know, the other piece is uh, that I speak. I I also think about how it affects um, the future generations, the young folks. Right. And folks, as I mentioned, of reproductive age. But my own child is a person with a uterus and. What is this world that we are leaving for our young people? I am, I'm, I'm shocked, but not surprised. I'm horrified. Um, and I really think about all the young people in my life and, and what this will mean for their future. Um, I recently wrote an article about how I talked to my daughter about her body, um, which we can share with you. It was in um, postedonparents.com, but really thinking about um, drawing the connections between sex education, reproductive rights, um, thinking about consent and safety, relationships, pleasure, bodily autonomy, and you know what that looks like for different age groups. Um, but all of those pieces are sort of swirling for me and like really, really showing up in our work, but also in our, in our daily lives, our personal lives. Um, the last piece I would just share for folks is that there's opportunities for folks who really care deeply about this issue and want their voices heard to get involved. And so want to make sure folks are aware that on May 14th, there will be a national day of action for supporters to show up across the country alongside a broad group of coalition partners with a clear call, bans off our bodies. And so folks can go to bandsoff.org for more information and to mobilize. Um, We can help, folks can go to abortionfinder.org to help people find abortion care. 
and folks can share their story. Um, the link is if they have an abortion story that they're interested in sharing and amplifying this experience and this reality, they can go to ppact.io um, slash share story. So we'll share that information with you, but just wanted to make sure folks know that there's opportunities to get involved, be heard, um, and get it in the fight. Join us. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing those very personal emotions and those calls to actions. I think in these kinds of moments when people feel at a loss um, and in that sort of stuck place that you spoke about, that frozen place, um, it can be really powerful to come together with others and just feel like you're getting your voice out, your feelings out. So we'll definitely be sure to share that with our followers. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I have to second that. Like I was like, oh my God, she's gonna make me cry because it's just like I can just feel the emotions off of you. And yeah, this is such a I I think that what's particularly saddening for me about all of this is aside from you know what the outcome is, that this stigma around abortion, which is already like a very mm-hmm. hard decision to make. Um, a lot of like the guilt that's carried with that. And so, you know, when you start to have conversations around like policy and your body and your choices and your decisions, like that probably doesn't help a lot Mm -hmm. of women that are already going through like a very emotional time. So, well, you know, if I may, I would also just sort of like to, um, tease apart this notion that choosing to have an abortion is always a difficult decision. And mm. so it may not be, it may be the, 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 the right decision, the swift decision, the easy decision, the I'm not blinking twice, you know, yeah. sign me up decision. And all of those experiences are legit in the same way that we all have different reactions and feelings and emotions about any other circumstance in life. This is, it's a part of life. It has always been a part of life. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate you saying that because I don't think people talk about that enough, like the range Which of those part? emotions that for some women, it might feel like the swift decision, the right decision, um, just a necessary decision and action. Um, or just simply their choice. Yeah. <laughs> like they yeah. want to get one. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a piece where we have the opportunity. I mean, you all and your platform in particular have an opportunity to disrupt even those like we're making assumptions that something is hard and that's, you know, I wasn't trying to criticize no. your statement, but I do, no, no. I feel like there is an opportunity to educate folks that this is not, I mean, I think, oh, I'm going to quote you some wrong data. Mm. I believe, <laughs> <laughs> I believe that after cesarean section, abortion is the most common reproductive health procedure. Wow. Um, and I'm not quoting numbers there, but it is, I believe in, it is incredibly common. Um, one in four women get abortions. This is so many of us mm-hmm. and they are normal parts of our lives and they make they people like, there's so much data that I don't need to necessarily be, um, you know, sitting here spouting and then accidentally saying incorrectly. But, (laughs) but I think that it's just really, this is a normal part of healthcare. This is a normal Mm. part of the thing of things that people need. And we just need to remember that this is, it's not dangerous. It is 
a, a, a built-in component of the full um, spectrum of healthcare that people of reproductive age need. Yeah. And I'm, to be honest, thank you for saying that because I'm probably influenced by my own kind of understandings of the stigmas around it. And so you're absolutely right. And I think that that's a good point to highlight as well. Um, I'm also, I don't have the information in front of me, so I'll put this in the show notes, but the darkest hue, a friend of the podcast did a really interesting post around kind of some of the history of abortion. Um, and again, I don't have it in front of me. I don't know everything for facts, but, um, kind of talked about a lot of history of midwives, um, especially black women as midwives, um, caring for white women, um, who were getting abortions. And then when the shift in, um, a lot of medicine, um, obstetrics and gynecology was, became like a white man's world. Um, and we talked about Anarka, Betsy and Lucy, Lucy, um, and the work that was done on black women's bodies and, and even studying that field. And so there's so much so in much. thinking about like, particularly, and, and that's why I'm really glad that you're here. Um, because in your bio, it highlights particularly youth of color, how our rights, our bodies have just been kind of like political playgrounds for so long. Um, so there's also some like misinformation, I feel like, because you just said that it's like not dangerous. And I've always been under the perception or understanding that it was somehow no. that getting it was would like harm your reproductive no, system. completely safe. And there's no data that shows that there's any impact on future childbearing. Wow. How did that narrative come into my mind? <laughs> Wow. It's crazy. It and it's really also, I'll, I'll also jump in and say, um, most abortions happen um, early in pregnancy and those procedures are super quick. Like we're not, this is not like, I, I say this because I'm, what's coming up for me is a conversation that I wrote about in that article that I mentioned, which is um, my family and I were at brunch in Brooklyn um, last summer, I believe. And uh, we saw an anti-abortion protest go over the Brooklyn bridge wow. and oh, you could read yes. the signs I've from um, where we were sitting. And so my child who can read asked me what those signs meant. And so I ended up at brunch explaining all of the things around that group of people wants to restrict people's ability to make decisions about their own body and that mm -hmm. our family believes that each person makes their own choices for their body. And so really like, um, but in that conversation, she asked me what, you know, what, what is the procedure like? Right. Mm. And so explaining that there's two ways that you can do it, that um, you can have a medical procedure where a doctor or a nurse, um, you know, uh, empties the uterus, um, or you can have a um, use medication that will, um, expel, you know, the contents of the uterus at home. And there's a privacy element there, but overarchingly, I was able to explain to the, you know, at the time, I believe she was eight, like, mm. you know, there's, there's, she asked, does it hurt? And I said, well, there's cramping, different people's bodies feel different levels of discomfort. You can take medicine before some people choose to go to sleep. Um, but it's very quick, like in 10 minutes, you're like 
going to recover and you're going to go home and feel back to yourself, you know, soon thereafter. And so this real opportunity to just also demystify Mm -hmm. um, experiences really helps, I hope, to um, pull us out from behind the shame that this has been shrouded in for so many of us the secrecy that so many of us um, experience, not just around abortion, but around sex and sexuality. Um, There's so many opportunities to just talk really clearly about things and take the, again, the secrecy away from it so that it doesn't have to be something that you're whispering about um, or feel like you have to whisper to tell your story. And now a word from our sponsors. This episode of Black Girls Texting is sponsored by This Is L. This Is L is period care inspired by nature. L tampons contain organic cotton without the organic price, and they have a 100% organic cotton core. L is the number one cotton brand in feminine care in the United States, and I can let you know that all of our group chats are talking about it. Actually, just the other day, my homegirl came over and she saw my box of This Is L out in my bathroom, and she literally screens and we had a nice little key about how much we love the brand and how much using it makes us feel like we're doing something good for the earth and also makes us feel good that we're not putting something in our body that can be harmful. So we definitely suggest that you check out This Is L. Go to thisisl.com and tell them that Black Girls Texting sent you. Our friends at Ulta Beauty shared a few product recommendations for keeping your curls juicy and joyful. Ulta Beauty recommends using the following products in your routine to help in prolonging your protective styles by keeping your hair healthy and hydrated. First, cleanse with Sunday Sunday Root Refresh Micellar Rinse. This lightweight and gentle cleanser is color safe, sulfate free, and keeps your scalp and hair fresh between washes. Ulta Beauty's next recommendation is Kemet Biologics Burdock Root Buttercream, which provides rich, lightweight moisture for fine, thin, afro-slash-coily hair, delivering 24-plus hours of moisture without the buildup, perfect for dry, medium-low porosity hair. We'll finish with Rizzo's Curls Nourish Oil, which is made with 100% pure essential oils to provide a radiant shine. This lightweight oil quickly absorbs and penetrates, providing moisture and minimizing frizz for visibly healthier looking hair and scalp. So what are you waiting for? Head over to Ulta Beauty or Ulta.com to shop all your hair care essentials now. And now we are back with more Black Girls Texting. All right, y'all. It's time for the group chat. That kind of, if we are ready to transition, Mm -hmm. makes me think about transitioning um, into kind of what we originally planned to discuss with you, which is just how you got involved in sex education um, and a bit of your background, because it's super interesting. And I think that um, your point around like destigmatizing, demystifying, like us being able to have conversations openly around sex, sex education is so important. Um, and I think that's going to help so much with this upcoming generation and being able to, you know, think about things such as like assault, access to, you know, healthcare, abortion, consent. pleasure, consent. Like, I, I feel like because so much is like, it's this secret little box of sex that nobody wants to talk about this is where shit like really blows up. So I'd just love to kind of jump into just more about you and your background. Sure. So thank you for reading my um, bio. So carefully. Bomb bio. <laughs> so you've, you've heard about my education. Um, I 
got my start in high school. Um, I ran what we called then an AIDS awareness day. And that was like 1995. Um, and I sort of got hooked in this work um, and thinking about young people and centering young people's voices. Um, I went to college um, after and got both a bachelor's and a master's degree. And then um, went on to run a teen pregnancy prevention program in Washington, DC, which I absolutely loved. It was amazing. I still think of those young people who are now grown. <laughs> and then I ended up moving to New York City, um, ran a youth HIV prevention and sex education program, and then ended up um, uh, getting into a doctoral program and applying for a doctorate and completing um, that work. And so the first sentence of my doctoral program application essay read, I want to change the way sex education is taught in this country. And um, to be honest with you, this role at Planned Parenthood Federation of America, um, Vice President of Education and Training is, I'm hoping that I, that I along with so many of my incredible colleagues um, and team are, you know, and not just at, at the national office, but also the affiliate departments of education across the country are really working together to do just that. So it's incredibly exciting for me. Well, then that kind of transitioned me into my question about you, like always feeling tied to this. This started in high school. I'm also curious, like, how have you seen the change of sex education from when you were in high school um, to what it looks like now? Yeah, there's been a lot of changes. I mean, one of the things that's exciting about public health as a field for me is that it's not, um, it's not like history. It doesn't, it's the stuff that you study doesn't stay the same, right? That it's constantly, because we're really talking about humanity, you're, it's constantly evolving, iterating, updating, changing. Like there's always like this new interesting approach. And so um, the, the same holds true for sex education. Um, you know, I grew up in the 90s. The sex education I got was, you know, <laughs> a year after I'd gotten my period, but not told anyone. Um, I was an early bloomer or whatever you say. Um, <laughs> but like my, you know, I hadn't shared with my friends. So there's shame there that we can just like name now, right? Totally. Um, I felt the same way. Um, yeah. And and I remember being pulled into two different rooms according to the gender we were assigned by birth at birth, right? And one room was talked about periods and the other room was talked about, I don't know, what did they talk about? Wet dreams? I don't know. Erections, <laughs> like sure. masturbating? Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> Wet dreams, erections, I don't, I don't know. Um, so that, you know, and then I feel like it evolved some from my experience to um, what I was teaching in the early 2000s, right? And so we expanded somewhat and tried to, you know, be more, clear, um, talk about values. Um, but it, it's even the, the field continues to broaden, expand, talk about synergies, incorporate the elements that you named around the ways that like systemic and institutional racism shows up in sex ed and how can sex educators be trained now to dismantle that in, you know, identify it and, and disrupt it in, sec in sessions and workshops, but also really thinking about gender identity, sexual orientation, um, fluidity, consent, pleasure. There's so much more 
um, than sort of like the old school, you know, tab B into slot A sort of <laughs> conceptualization. I mean, really recognizing that the definition of sex isn't penis and vagina, vagina sex anymore, yeah. um, that we don't talk about sex only in terms of reproduction. So there's just a lot. And the young people continue to lead us and show us that there's that, that the, the, they're continuing to demonstrate fluidity and defining the ways they want to be seen and the information that they want access to. Um, so it's, in, it's much broader now. Um, and the skill set is evolving too, right? So it's not just a question of like, make sure you say no loudly or something, but it's really around unpacking what consent looks like, what it's, what it feels like to receive a no, right? Um, and I use the analogy that really this shows up um, very early in life. This is not something that we need to wait until junior year of high school or God forbid, freshman year of college. We're really talking about foundational building blocks um, and sex education I often compare to the way we teach math. We don't start with calculus. We start with zero, one, two, three, right? And so there's really foundational elements that um, show up in sex education from a very young age. I'm talking like when you have a child who's in diapers and you are changing them, you can say, I'm going to change your diaper now, Mm -hmm. right? We can let the child start to have some influence or or some awareness, right? Um, Naming body parts, their actual names, Mm -hmm. rather than saying, I don't know, my mom Polish. My mom called it a dupa. What is a dupa? (laughs) I I think that's a Polish word, but yeah, those things. And um, also thinking about consent, right? So like in, for young kids, it's maybe, I mean, I think about being raised um, in the black community and speaking to people, greeting folk, right? When you come in the room, et cetera. And I wanted my child to be polite, but I don't want her to, to be, to be touched when she doesn't care to be touched. Mm-hmm. And so raising her to use her voice to greet folks, to, to say hello, but she didn't have to hug people. Like just because you're, you know, auntie so-and-so remembers you, that doesn't mean a four-year-old remembers them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So totally. that feels like a stranger all upon people. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I just think that there's like little elements where we build building blocks and then those show up, those skills continue, we continue to hone and refine and strengthen those skills. And then we are accustomed to um, expecting that if I tell you, I don't want to be touched there, that I'm expecting that you hear my voice clearly, right? That we've set that expectation young so that when I, when there's situations later, we already know that, that if I say what I say, that I'm being clear about my body and my boundaries. Totally. So much just came up for me as you were speaking. First thing is, um, Chelsea and I both have uh, backgrounds in education, particularly with teaching like uh, pre-K and like first grade aged kids. And I think it was last year, there was this kind of scandal going around in private schools in New York where there was a sex education teacher who was teaching younger kids about what it feels like to have an erection or to self-pleasure. And um, families were really disturbed by that I don't know if you heard about this whole thing I did and I actually yeah. was on a meeting with that person today oh wow Interesting. wow so what do you have any thoughts on on kind of the messaging around that well um 
I believe, if, again, don't have it in front of me, so let's all caveat this, but I believe yep. it was around um, an Amaze video, and an Amaze is a series of videos, um, educational, sex education videos that are created by um, three well-known, well-respected uh, sex education organizations. The collaboration is SECUS, which is Sex Ed for Social Change, um, Advocates for Youth and Answer. And I believe that the video, so they have Amaze and Amaze Junior. Um, I don't remember the ages, so let's let's just give me a little wiggle room. I believe that Amaze Junior is like four to eight and maybe Amaze is like eight to 11 or something like that. So give me, you know, not exactly sure we could look that up. Um, they're an incredible video series. They are in multiple language. They're streamed around the world. Um, and there is a video that talks to the, I believe, the younger cohort. I can't remember if it's the, I don't remember yeah, which one. One I of the cohorts the around, cohort. um, you know, self-touch. And I went and watched the video when this happened. And frankly, the video was great. And it wasn't, it's, it, we, sex education is not teaching pornography at all. Yep. Mm-hmm. So we need to be really clear that sex education is teaching um, understanding your body, how it works. And there's amazing gifts that our bodies are capable of giving us. And we're not, but little kids are not, we're not talking about little kids orgasming. That's not a thing, right? So we're really talking about um, alarm, people raising an alarm when I, I would be curious as to, did they see the video or just hear something that they found alarming? And then did they go to the educator and ask how the conversation unfolded in the classroom? Because people are invited, you know, people are invited into spaces in a lot of cases. And so there's really a lot of opportunity to, whenever I was um, teaching in, in classrooms, I always made myself available. And I know so many other sex educators do this. Make yourself available. They, we sit, we will answer questions. We will share what we cover and what questions typically come up during that workshop and how we respond to them. And I have never, when I've done that, had a parent say, I'm pulling my kid out. I've always said, I'm, I've always had parents say, I'm so grateful that you're here starting this conversation because I wasn't sure how to. Do you think though, in terms of like sex education, that there is some sort of communication that should happen with the parents? I know we don't do it with math, for example, or reading, like the teacher never consults the parent, like we're going to be teaching about algebra this year, you know, that's just what they do. Do you think with sex education, though, there should be some sort of consultation with parents? Um, I'll tell you what I think. I think sex education should be unequal, should be as important as math. I think it should be funded. I think the people should be the people who are providing the education should be trained. We have national sex education standards um, that you can sort of crosswalk the curricula that you are implementing with what these standards are. And they are um, scaffolded by grade level and what's developmentally appropriate and what the topics are. Um, So in my opinion, it would be amazing if young people got all of the things that they need in in school and that all young people got them in all schools, that you didn't have to go to a school that you pay tuition to in order to get sex education that is shame-free, medically accurate, and, um, you know, encompassing your whole self. The other piece that I would say is, I do think that there's an opportunity to really help families understand what sex education does and, and what we're hoping, the skill set that we're hoping young people gain. Um, you know, I'll share with you in conversations with my husband, you can imagine we talk about this a lot. Um, and in conversations with my husband, 
you know, he said, it's really interesting what you, what you teach and what you, what you stand for, because, you know, different maybe from math, the things that you learn in sex education, not just about how your body works and I'm, and, but really about like the way that you're going to conduct yourself in, in the world, the way that you're going to, you know, care for yourself, have a relationship and an understanding with yourself, have relationships with others. And those don't only mean sexual relationships, but just really foundationally how you want to interact with others, be respected, show respect, um, and be nurtured, right. Find joy. Um, those are things that young people do, especially as they're getting older independently. So there's this Mm -hmm. opportunity to really think, um, I have a, you know, my kid is in fourth grade. I'm seeing more and more independence week after week. And she's lately taken to telling me I'm in her business. Yeah. (laughs) You heard it here first. Oh my God. Business. (laughs) Um, but, uh, I think that the pieces here are, what are the skills that we can help young people to develop and parents are the key. And often, you know, parents and guardians and caring adults are the people in the home setting, the home community are the first people that are helping young people develop these skills. Right. Um, But what are the ways that we can help young people so that when they are out forging these new, you know, relationships um, and, and finding that independence that the, that, that they're doing it in a way where they're like, Oh, I practice this in that workshop. I feel good about making this choice, or I practice how to make a decision. And I weighed three options. And I thought that the outcome of this one is going to be the best and the most realistic. Like there's a lot of really concrete considerations and skills that we're teaching that I don't know any other arena in life where we get to you know, sort of teach thoughtful decision-making that aligns with your values and what you're driving towards. Yeah. It's making me think a lot about just overall how stigmatized sex is in terms of like when you're allowed to talk about it or when someone's deemed ready to talk about it. But like, I was fully masturbating at like four or five years old, like vividly remember that. And like, I knew it was like something I shouldn't do. Like, I wasn't like, in front of people doing that. But like, I had a feeling of like, Ooh, like this is a secret. Where did I get that from? I have no Babies idea. in the womb touch their genitals. Right. And like, it's just something. Just, it's that, something. And it, it yeah. listen, there's a lot of nerve endings down there. And it's like wild to, <laughs> to realize like, Hmm, at some point I learned that like, this was like secretive and then was so secretive about everything I did sexually go forward. Whereas like, if it was more open, I might've been able to be like, Hey mom, can I get herpes from sucking a dick with (laughs) or without a condom? Because I was definitely Googling it before I went to course Street movie theater and was going (laughs) to go give head to some boy that I met. (laughs) How much easier would have been if I just asked my mom? (laughs) It's closed now. I know. Thank God. There were a lot of BJ's in the back. That yeah, for sure. (laughs) But you know, and like how much easier would have been if we could have that conversation. Sorry. No, I mean, listen, the conversations, first of all, I'm just sort of like thinking of my the the pieces, the elements I want to share. First of all, babies in the womb touch their genitals. There's a lot of nerve endings there. It feels away. Let's just right. I think the other piece is it is so many children touch themselves, take off a diaper on some kids, their hands immediately shoot down. Right. Mm -hmm. So what are the opportunities as a caring adult? Can we say, Oh, I bet that feels good. That's something that we do in our, in private spaces. So you may do that either in the bathroom or in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. We don't do that on the couch. Mm -hmm. 
I know it feels good, but I w- I invite you to do it in a private space, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what are the ways that we can sort of like bring in the other lessons that we want kids to learn? Because the other piece that's so interesting about sex and sexuality and being in this field is I have talked to so many people where I've heard a plethora of stories about what type of sex education folks did or didn't get or what sort of shaming experiences they, they may have had growing up. And I have never heard one person say, I don't want my kid to have a, you know, mutually fulfilling experience whenever that time is right for them. Maybe not in as a young age, but this is this is a part of developmental, natural developmental development. Is that a thing? Developmental development, (laughs) natural development, you know, growing up. Um, And so. I've never heard someone say that they didn't want their, per- their the people that they care about to, to, to have fulfilling relationships when they were ready, right? And so what, what is our opportunity to think, well, how do I set that in motion earlier? You don't just flip a switch at 19, mm-hmm. right? That those messages that we got around shame are, are sinking in and shaping all of us. So what are the ways that the caring adults in the world of these young people? And listen, it's not just the kids. How much in this, in the texting cipher and stuff, do we have to unpack stuff for one another when we're grown? There's so many things. Yeah. I wanted to circle back on what was coming up earlier when you were mentioning consent and kind of learning that those boundaries early in life. And we've talked about this, I think, on past episodes, how consent can sometimes feel complicated because it, it can change many times throughout an encounter with someone oh, yeah, a physical encounter yeah we were like should there be an app where like we have to sign a waiver and then we say like okay it changes like and, and it's not always something verbal it's like also having to pick up on somebody's body bodily cues and I mean I there's know. just a, a lot of checking in and just yeah. I mean one of the things that we're that we're that we make sure that we're teaching around consent is it's 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 constant mm-hmm. you know And that we're trying to help folks to understand that this doesn't have to be like whack and ruin the mood, right? Mm -hmm. You can actually say things like, is this still feeling good to you? Is did that feel good to you in the first place? Do you want to try a thing? Are you interested? Would you like to pause? Get some water. Like there's all of these opportunities, the way that we would check in on folks' well-being anyway, to weave that conversation into um, a the, the, the regular dialogue between friends and partners. Completely. I'm also curious getting specific around sex education and how it like differs, especially with women of color. We talk a lot about this concept of adultification on the show, just to kind of explanatory comma, stealing a code switch note. But like adultification is kind of like the way in which young women of color in their teens maybe like sexualized, hypersexualized in a different way than their white counterparts, especially. Um, and we and sometimes develop differently. Our bodies are very different. Um, and so does that come up in conversations that you're having um, and thinking about sex education? You know, we will hear a lot in particularly black community, like, oh, she's fast. Oh, she's mm-hmm. this. So oh, you better, mm-hmm. I'm sure Glenn, people told her I had that butt or, you know, I had huge boobs, like mm-hmm. hide the boobs, like, you know, what, what is As that if we like? had control over any of those things. Right. right. And like, then I felt mom. so much Thanks, shame and was afraid. <laughs> I was like, what's on my butt? Like it was terrifying. 
Yeah. So is sex education different for women of color? Um, is it different? The content shouldn't be, the approach should be, um, should be aware of and consider that reality. So when I spoke about the way that sex educators um, are like a skill set that they're trained in is understanding the complexity of how racism in this country and sex and the way that, I mean, it happens to a lot of marginalized communities and identities, right? That there's a different element of the way that different identities um, have been sort of like sexualized in some way, shape or form. I think for black girls and femmes, um, there's so much history because of slavery in this country. Um, There's so many assumptions and frankly, like one, it's really important for sex educators to be, have, have done their homework on what that history is and how it shows up today. Um, I think there's also an element where really centering, there are incredible sex educators of color across this country. And so really, what are the ways that, what are the the work that those folks are doing and how can we apprentice with them? How can we learn um, from them um, to see what's being done differently to center communities of color? Um, I think there's also a piece where in my experience, um, you know, juxtaposing, there's so much literature on this, but like, I'm just sort of thinking of um, one book uh, where they looked at the type of sex education that was provided in three different junior high schools. One was a predominantly white affluent private school, I think. And then one was a white public school, maybe less, less affluent. And one was a black, less affluent public school. And um, there's, there's a, the, the, the difference in the spectrum in that book, and that book is years old, but the difference in the spectrum, um, the book is called Risky Lessons, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the difference in the spectrum was that there was a presumption that the white affluent kids um, could explore and express themselves and like try a thing, right? And, and that level of freedom is not afforded our Black children. And we know that in so many areas of the way that we are raised. Um, And I think that it is the responsibility of sex educators today to identify those judgmental assumptions, those racist stereotypes and pull them apart before they implement a curriculum or implement a workshop. And, you know, what are the things that we, as again, I keep coming back to the same question. What are the things that we as caring adults can do in our own communities to disrupt those pieces, right? So like, what are the things like, we don't need to comment on people's bodies. You know, that new thing that we're telling each other, if you can't fix it in 10 seconds, don't mention it. Like if it's not a piece of something left over from my lunch and my teeth, don't mention it, but right. Like Love that's that. just like, that's a new, that's the new golden rule or whatever they used to call it. Um, so how are we thinking about that? How are we thinking about like freedom and like thinking about the way black joy is an act of resistance? Like that can show up in so many ways. Um, but I think like we just have an opportunity to 
um, we just have an opportunity to disrupt those those racist assumptions and they show up everywhere. They show up in the way that, you know, kids' bodies are policed in schools. We show up in the way that the assumptions are made, you know, calling people fast, looking at their body, making comments on their body shape or what age they developed. Or, I mean, I think about freedom to experiment, so to speak. And I think about if you had a 16 year old, I mean, I'm now we're just really talking about like, I'm just like sketching out people that I, you know, not real people, but like if there was a 16 year old, tall, skinny black dude who was experimenting with weed and a 16 year old, tall, skinny white dude who's experimenting with weed, which one of them is experimenting and which one of them is a thug or a drug dealer or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not why we, we have to stop with these, these things. And it's not, I'm not saying we're doing it to ourselves. It's, but I think that there's um, an opportunity to really uh, examine and disrupt these patterns. I am slightly shifting. I know we've been talking to you for a bit, but um, I'm curious on your thoughts on hookup culture. Um, It's something that I feel has like come and gone and come and gone and come and gone. And there's obviously like stigma associated with that um, and could be something that is discussed in sex education. And it kind of came from this article that you guys had shared. I'm not going to get deep into the article. I'll link it in there. But if not, if we go into that, we'll be here for like 10,000 years. <laughs> um, but I was just wondering, like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, listen, as long as everybody's consenting and having fun, there's nothing wrong with hooking up. Awesome. Great. You know, get yours, hope they get theirs. Everybody do be great. I think that there's a lot to, again, unpack. Um, I think I'd love to look at the power structure and the media narratives, right. And like, mm-hmm. who's benefiting from ho- hookup culture. What does that even mean? What do we mean when we say hookup culture? I might have one thing in mind. Each of you might have a different thing in mm-hmm. mind. So how are we really defining that? You know, it sounds to me like, um, the ways that some conservative outlets, you know, they try to invoke panic about young people having too much sex without <laughs> acknowledging that this is like a normal part of human development. Mm-hmm. If that is something that you choose to be is sexual, right? People choose, people may identify as asexual, but should someone identify as sexual in whatever way that shows up for them, that is a completely normal part of humanity that we share with everyone else, um, even if it looks different in each of us, right? You know, The other piece is like this notion of hookup culture sounds like somebody's trying to get something from somebody else, as opposed to two people mutually agreeing that this is something that they're enjoying and want to do together and both getting, you know, pleasure from. So I'm not really in love with that. And I think for me, what comes up is that sex, when I was coming up, was framed as something that boys took from girls that you should guard as though it was going to change you. There was no discussion of same sex or same gender loving couples around sex when I was growing up. Um, And it it also like (laughs) gives this notion that by having sex, you're a different person, which is not a thing right? This like notion of like, um, you know, virginity is a social construct, right? You're not changed because you, 
you know, whatever, maybe you also scraped your knee, like whatever, you're not, you're still you, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't love the framing that I think we have an opportunity to redesign this narrative around sex as though it's when, when traditionally um, people with uteruses or, or femme identified folks, women, femmes, um, it's as though they had something they had to protect, guard, and something was somebody else was going to take something from them, like a winning losing scenario, which I don't think that doesn't vibe with me, right? Like I think we, you have this body, and whatever your body is capable of doing, and that gives you pleasure, you know, be great, right? Maybe you don't do it always on the couch. Maybe you do it behind the closed door, but be great, right? Um, I think those are my like those are my top line reactions. Yeah, there, something you were saying about like this concept of having virginity taken and how that is not a thing. Someone recently told me that blue balls are not real. And I was like, mm-hmm. because it's based in this idea that like the sex was not owed to you to begin with. So how did somebody give you blue balls? Like you were aroused oh, and then you did not have sex. Oh, period. But there is a pain, right? That That is real. Right. Yes, but then like you really, I mean, but you can also do that. You're like, you don't need someone else to relieve that. Right. It's maybe a little discomfort, but like, Mm -hmm. I don't possess a penis. So I don't know what that necessarily feels like. But I think that this notion that it's owed to you by a person other than yourself deserves, like, that's, I think, what you're getting at there. Yeah. It's like really poignant. hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It shouldn't be. Yeah. That's true. I wonder, though, in sex education, is there any need, especially with when talking with young people, need to talk about not just like the scientific part or like the the more like literal things, but also like the social emotional things? Because I can remember myself when I lost my virginity, it was very traumatic. And I wish someone had told me, you know, you might have some feelings after this uh-huh. and you might feel X, Y, or Z. So mm-hmm. maybe think about who the person is and like, is that someone that you really want to do that with or whatever? Is that a part of the education? Yes. And may I, you know, not to, um, I want to like sort of give like a little bit of a content warning around um, sexual assault but I think it's also really important to remember that some people don't, aren't offered a choice to, um, you know, have sex, engage, right. Have sex for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to sort of disabuse ourselves of that assumption when we're in spaces because we're then not including everyone's experience. So I think that you're absolutely right. And, and in, all of the sex education I've ever taught, um, there was always real deep discussion and ongoing discussion around um, feelings, values, preferences, decision-making, and how that's a continued piece. But I think it's also really important to remember that um, when we're framing it, we we have a responsibility to any survivors um, in the space who, for whom that decision was made for them. Yeah, I think in my thoughts around like the hookup culture, a a lot of my thoughts in the educational portion is around like the emotional, because I feel like a lot of times sex is also used in like manipulative manners or like, oh, I'm taking this from you or you're giving this to me or like, like it it seems like it 
and we see this even today, actually, Summer Walker posted something that I thought was interesting. That was like, these days, men want your body and women want your money. But oh, whatever. I'm going on a tangent. <laughs> but, know, it, <laughs> but it was interesting because I feel like some of the stigma around like hookup culture is that the assumption is like the girl is giving something up and the guy is winning something. It's never like a mutual exchange um, or that the girl is seeking more of an emotional connection while the guy just wants to get off. And like, that's not necessarily always the case. Sometimes that can be the case. And how can you be able to navigate understanding like all your emotions behind that if you're never taught that? That's why people get caught up in a lot of stuff. Yeah, and I think that also there's some some gender role expectations yep. there yep. that need to be sort of unpacked and some, I don't want to only say toxic masculinity, but some toxic expectations of behavior mm-hmm. that, um, you know, everyone has feelings. Everyone can either be vulnerable or choose to not show vulnerable sides of themselves. And, you know, what does, I think it's really like when we think about healthy relationships, there's so many opportunities to really explore what these conversations look like, role play, um, and and practice having conversations um, and exploring to get you know with a friend or a partner or whatever. Um, just, I think there there the, the I also think you know you asked earlier about how things have evolved in the different, like the, like the, from the nineties to the two thousands mm-hmm. to what we see now and young people now are way more, I said earlier, like they're way more um, resistant to being labeled. Mm. They're way more, you know, um, like, recognizing that bodies are bodies and people, different people have different feel. Like there's much more fluidity in the way that they interact and expect interactions with one another than I think was in previous generations. And so I also wonder like, what will this look like for, you know, our future teens? You know what I mean? There's so much, it's just, it's different than what the expectations were when I was coming up or maybe when you all were coming up. That's a really interesting kind of full circle back to how we started this conversation with kind of those fears that you were sharing for what things look like for our future generations. But then there's also a lot of like hopefulness in the way that they view the world. But, you know, it's scary to imagine the type of world they'll be living in, especially when they have these sorts of views. And, you know, that kind of brings me to this final question that you put here, Shade. What is, Dr. for you, Dr. Flowers, what does your utopia look like when you think about how we as a society view sex, sex education, and women's sexual rights? Well, that is the million-dollar question, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, ultimately, (laughs) ultimately, you know, I want people to feel at home in their own skin. And so that what home might mean for each of us might be different, but how can we, you know, build a world where people get access to information, they're not feeling ashamed or, you know, embarrassment is a feeling that's a thing, but how do we just sort of embed this, these, that this element of humanity that everyone has inside of them in some form or fashion 
and bring it, you know, it doesn't have to be flashed across a billboard, but I think making it, you know, a regular part of our lives the way it is, but not shrouded in secrecy, right? So, so building a world where everyone can live their truths and um, find joy uh, in whatever that might look like for them um, is it really important. And I feel like those, those terminology, the terminology I just used sounded vague and maybe not sex and sexuality specific, but I think that the, the real vision is that people also have access. And so, so access without, I'm rambling. I'm going to pull it back together. Hold on. No, you're <laughs> the, good. I'm the, like, yes, I'm following. Is, is be at home and find peace, joy, and, you know, greatness in your body and whatever that looks like for you. I think there's an element here of um, really also having a world where this we've, 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 the shame associated with sex and sexuality is something of the past. We can, we, you know, I want to get to the place where I, you know, I'm like saying, I remember when, right. Like that it's not a thing anymore. And then, and my, you know, like my kid, this is so silly. My kid, like once, you know how this is, I'm going off tangent. You know how the paper towels, they have like pick a size ones. Yes. Mm -hmm. So my kid, once we must've had an old roll that we acquired at the beginning of the pandemic and it was like the big size paper towel and I ripped it off and she was like, what is that? (laughs) And I was like, it's a paper towel. And she was like, why is it so big? And I was like, they used to always be this side. And she was like, what? A waste of paper. Like it was just hilarious because- I love it. Because like that was not her reality that you could have pick a size paper towels, right? So I think to that end, how can we put the shame- the stigma around these elements of our lives in the, in the rearview mirror? How can we bring, let, like, let people explore and live their truths in a way that honors who they are without having that critique from community that like we talked about before. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not that we don't have, I'm not trying to suggest that, you know, only black folks or only black communities have that critique. So many of us Mm -hmm. and various identities and and ethnicities and races and religious beliefs have different things that our families put on us. Right. That's just family. Maybe that's the second definition under family somewhere, but like, (laughs) what are the ways that we can you know, bring those, those elements, the things that we want for ourselves and for our, for our children, bring that into today, right? Make those pieces. It doesn't have to be quiet or secret. You know, I had a little, you know, like a little like nibbling once say to me, like they, we saw people kissing outside of the park when we were walking in New York city. Um, and they were two male looked to me like male identified folk. And this, this young person in my life said, oh, Aunt Sarah, why are those two boys kissing? And I was like, oh, must feel good. Mm-hmm. And she was like, but it's two boys. And I was like, aren't they lucky that they found each other and they both wanted to do that? That's so nice, mm-hmm. right? But like, how do we just bring that into all of the parts of our lives? Yeah. I love what you said <laughs> about the, the comfort in your body um, because- you only have one body and if you believe, I mean, I believe in reincarnation, but whatever. One life. <laughs> Can you imagine how much more fun you could be having? <laughs> well, that's also the piece on shame, right? Exactly. It's like how, like the things that I thought I knew when I was a teenager versus what I know now, 
I mean, the, 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 the narrative that I told myself around, where did I get these things from around pleasure? Like, what was I thinking? And it's because no one ever sat me down and explained to me all of the different things that all, all I knew about my body was about don't get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you get pregnant and, and this is another story, I just have a lot of stories. Y'all can cut me off when you're ready, but I, <laughs> I remember being 12. So that's like early nineties, um, maybe or so, um, 90, yeah, early nineties. Anyways, it was the height of the AIDS epidemic. I lived outside of New York city. I knew about this, um, I guess. And I remember saying to my mom, and this is, I don't mean the stigma that it's going to sound like here. So it's a 12 year old in 1990s talking, but I said to my mom, I'm not going to have sex until I get married because, um, I don't, I don't want to, I don't know. I said, I'm not going to have sex until I get married because I don't want to get pregnant. And my mom said, girl, I can fix pregnancy. I can't fix HIV though. Mm. Cause in the time, to- at the time, you know, the meds that we had then were not the meds that we have now. People were not living as long as, as they are now. Um, but I remember being shocked that my mom alluded to abortion, but I don't remember, I didn't know if that was a punishment or a gift Hmm. that she Hmm. could fix it. And I think that that was confusing to me. Whereas like, we can be real clear with young people, young people are with it, right. That, that didn't have to be a mystery that I carried with me into adulthood. I could have just asked her. Yeah. Or she could have been more clear. I don't know. And I don't remember, you know, how that conversation came to be or whatever, but like, what are the ways that we can not do something that sounds like a threat? We just can be matter of fact. And that's also the thing about sex and sexuality. It's just a piece of life, you know, penis, vulva, elbow. These are body parts. (laughs) Sometimes certain things go in certain places. The elbow. If you want them there. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Well, thank you so, so much. Like, I cannot tell you the like genuine privilege. I feel like being able to have you on at this time. And I think our listeners are really going to appreciate, you know, everything that you have to say, but also just knowing the work that you're doing and that there are a lot of people doing this work because I feel we're all in like doom and gloom right now. But knowing that there are people supporting and you know hoping that we can have a better future and the future generations can have a better future is very comforting in these times I would have to say definitely thank you so much for joining us Dr. Flowers this is really amazing so much this was a really wonderful way to end my day this (laughs) really lovely conversation and it's lovely to speak with all of you likewise thank you what would you do I do not have a what would you do today, <laughs> but I wanted to ask you guys if you saw um, the real Kyle sister, a.k.a. Ari Fletcher, with her son at her birthday party where there was like hookah and drinks. Yo, Sean, did y'all see that? I didn't see that, but what are the people saying? <laughs> Someone made a petition for Yo, Sean to go live with G Herbo. Shut up. Like literally oh, like, about that. Literal, like the petitions that you can sign online, which I thought was funny, but I was also like, that's kind of wild and fucked up. And so, you know, she went on a live and was like, Y'all don't even know what y'all talking about. How they gonna let a four-year-old in the club? That don't even make no sense. <laughs> He's like, it was a private party, but I'm like, wait, is this the what would you do? 
Yes. So I want to oh, know. Getting there. Mm-hmm. I want to know what your thoughts are on children like at events like that, because I've even seen like people throwing baby showers and they've just been like they start to get really, really crazy. And I'm not talking about like, you know, a standard baby shower with, you know, black people. We be drinking, we be loud, we play games. But like there's like hookah in this club and like mad ass. Was it a club? Wait, ass? Okay, no, it (laughs) it was like a private venue that she rented out. But it's like there were it was like dark. It wasn't like lights on. It was like a club, the club. It looked like a club environment. That's a bit much. That's yeah, like the bottle surface no. and shit with the yeah, kids. And sparklers. Sparklers around the kids. No. I was like, I'm not mad at hookahs though. Not, I'm not gonna lie. Depending if there's a hookah section not near the kids. I mean, but that's because I just grew up around people that was smoking. So maybe I you know the people outside smoking cigars in one area. Okay, cigars outside, not outside. Were they smoking the cigar setting? Blowing the smoke in your face? No, no, no. <laughs> An indoor setting, yeah. No, no, mine is a no, 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 no. You don't bring a kid in a club. That's weird. No. Yeah, I was like, even if it's a private party, girl. Yeah, no. Like maybe he could have celebrated with you earlier, and then he needs. To yeah, home. why do you even want your kid there? First maybe she can get a birthday. Yeah, but have the um, <laughs> you know, like a lunch luncheon, <laughs> and then you go do the grown shit. I don't think she knows what a luncheon is. Oh damn. Um. Yeah. Had the it had the internet in an uproar. She was basically like, "You can't tell me how to parent my kid." Oh god! And I was just like, "This is, I'm sorry, like no way you cut it. This is not appropriate. I'm sorry." Like she seems a little problematic because wasn't she having problems with his current baby mama, who's fabulous's stepdaughter, Emily yes. B's daughter, and like it was a, like a pillow fight or something. And- huh? Yeah, she was like, she was like, she hit my son. Oh my yeah, God. and like they were having a pillow fight, and like the little boy went home and was like, I don't like her. And it's like, oh, y'all abusing my kid. Like, I, I, oh my God, that's ridiculous. Seems like she's a little, and that should not be on the internet. Exactly. No. That's if that crazy. if you were actually concerned, file yeah. a police report. That's wild. That's she's yeah. probably very young. Is she young? Probably she looks old. She looks older, but yeah. I don't. The girls be looking old these days. I yeah, mean, she way too much to her face in that body. But oh my god, this fucking terrible. yeah. Sorry, ladies, don't. If you bring your child to the, the your private party, I'm, I am, I'm taking them home. <laughs> I am gonna be like, I'm not clapping ass in front of your four year olds, and then they go home. Yeah. Oh my god. Know. Well, I think talk, I've talked about this before. Yeah, actually, yeah. I know. You're going to talk about your cousins? Yeah, I'm like, my family be doing <laughs> stuff, and then the kids be saying all the stuff that everybody be saying. Because they repeat everything. Of they course say they do. every single thing. Oh, I didn't know that part. They be saying wild stuff. <laughs> what? It's actually foul mouth. Kids curse. Foul mouth. <laughs> they see and hear everything. Like, the next thing you know, the little boy, I mean, I don't wish this on him, but like, gonna be like playing house and he's gonna be like get the hookah don't <laughs> <laughs> no, make it a fake hookah oh my like, god babies like Fisher Price hookah <laughs> <laughs> oh my god okay guys let's wrap this up because it's been long yes let's pop on over to the Patreon so if you want to laugh a little more come to the Patreon it's black girl sexing everything is black girl sexing we still have a, a few pieces of merch me I think too. we don't have any more of the big sizes because people have been coming up to me like I want a merch but there's no more XL's 
Is that true? There's no more XLs. The largest are running low. Damn. Listen, but I, I, I the medium and the girls like them oversized. Cute. No, but the medium is oversized, and the small is oversized if you're an extra small. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no extra small. Um, but yeah, well, we're gonna drop some new shit for the summer, right? Yes. Now I'm mindful that. Because a lot but of then people watch. Then was the t-shirt thing on thing on one and fucking small. medium and small. I can't keep up with y'all. Yeah. Well, this is all research, you know. We'll keep notes on. Yes. You know, you're a buyer. You know what's supposed to be Think done. About your numbers and Make your stock and inventory and get that Excel. But follow us on Black Girls Texting on every platform except for Twitter, in which we're Black Girls Text One. Love ya. Bye. Bye. Thanks again for listening to Black Girls Texting. Make sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Oh, and don't forget to text every group chat you're in and tell them to check us out. Follow your girls at Black Girls Texting and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.